people are replacing wisdom with information. They think that information will solve their problems. They think that information will make them be more successful. They think that information will make them happier. Trust me, the divorce ratio is the same today as it was in 1950. Welcome to Find Your Yellow Tux. I'm Jesse Cole, a baseball team owner turned showman, turning my back on the status quo. This is the show for people creating their own path. It's showtime. Excited to have Tim Connor here. Tim has done 4,500 presentations in 25 countries, the author of 80 books, including the bestseller Soft Sell, which has sold over a million copies. Tim, excited to have you. And what are you passionate about right now? I'm just glad to be alive, Jesse. I really am. If people don't realize uh, uh, how important life is and they get themselves wrapped up in trivia and, and people who don't drive fast enough, who don't answer emails fast enough, when they don't realize that uh, every day in the United States, approximately 40,000 people die in their sleep. So if you're listening to this, uh, you woke up this morning, you, you know, I'm really, I, I'm happy to be alive, to be able to do what I love to do. Um, in fact, I had open heart surgery last year and when I was yeah, they were getting ready to put me under. I told my daughter, I said, Heidi, if they, if they, um, if I don't wake up, it's because God is finished with me. And if I do wake up, it's because he's not finished with me. He wants me to keep annoying people around the world. So I'm just happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Outstanding. Now, give a little context for our listeners. Share your story. You know, how did you get into speaking, writing, and sales? Uh, I learned a long time ago that uh, sales is about exposure and credibility. Um, and back in the day before there was internet, there was you know, direct mail, there were little cards that you got in the mail, there were little things in sh shopping malls where you could get some The internet and, 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 and social media has changed all that, but back in those days, I decided the best way for me to do that was to speak. I was 25, 26 years old, never spoken professionally. Uh, I'd never been successful, so I designed a 20 to 25 minute speech on success. Again, I'd never been successful. How did you design the speech? I just I read a bunch of stuff, and then again, there you you could go in the average bookstore back in those days. The self help section was about four books on one shelf, so I, I read a bunch of books and got some key ideas. And um, uh, when I, when I was in high school, uh, I was in the drama club, and when I was in the Air Force, I was I was in a couple of plays as a part of the drama team. But I, so I had had a little experience acting, but no speaking. So I designed this 20, 25 minute speech and I just started giving it to, to nonprofit organizations, Rotary Clubs, Lion Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, uh, business women's organizations and so on. And over the course of 10 years, I gave probably, I don't know, a thousand of these speeches for free. And the bottom line was, is that I was using it as a promotional technique to get in front of more people in a week than the average salesperson could in a week. And as a result of that, that exposure and that credibility, I sold a lot of insurance and, I, and then I was in the advertising business, sold a lot of advertising actually published a newspaper, used speaking as a way to get advertisers in our publication. Uh, it was just, uh, and one day a guy came up to me and said, I love your message, uh, we'd like you to do a three hour seminar, I'll pay you how much? And I gave him a number, he said, fine, we'll do it. And I sat back and said, now keep in mind, when I started speaking full time, Zig Ziglar was not even in the business yet. So this was back, and Ogmandino was around, and uh, there were a few others who were, the National Speakers Association didn't even start until 1981. So professional speaking wasn't, it wasn't even a thing. It wasn't a career. No, there were maybe 100 or 200 people around the world who were actually doing this getting paid, but none of the people who were who ultimately became famous. Again, I wasn't trying to use it as a career. So how did you learn how to, to be a speaker? Uh, I let my audiences teach me how to speak. I let my audiences let me know, because I wasn't getting paid, so I could try stories and use illustrations if they didn't work okay, I learned a lesson. If I use a story in front or an illustration or example in front of a paid client doesn't work, mm, I might, they might be unhappy they paid me. So while I'm giving all these free speeches, I let the audience teach me how to use the audience, how to engage with the audience, how to, what to say, how to say it. And over the course of 10 years, uh, I refined my, my process, which is basically an interactive, you've heard, you've heard me speak, it's interactive, it's thought-provoking. But uh, it's also my, my mission in life, and I'm not, not afraid to say this with my audience. My mission in life is to annoy people because what I've learned in sales and in business, if you don't get under people's skin, if you don't create some discomfort, they're not going to change anything. They're not going to go to a new product. They're not going to try something different. So my job in a respectful way is to create this discomfort within people so that they would do something different and change. And how do you do that in your speeches? Uh, I do that by using, well, number one, there isn't a political correctness gene in my body, number one. Uh, and number two, it's being willing to uh, let 
people uh, be critical of me as a part of my presentation, but it's also, I tell, I tell my, every audience, I have two rules. You're going to participate or I'll call on you and let's have some fun. And so, you know, I may mean, just speak, finished speaking for four hours to a large group up in Washington State. And they, the first hour, they were very, re, re, they weren't responsive. They didn't want to talk. They all, but they learned after the hour, if they don't talk, I'm going to walk up to them and I'm going to call them and I'm asking questions. So all of a sudden people start, you have to understand that if people are not engaged in anything, if they're not engaged in a sales presentation, if they're not engaged in a business meeting, if they're not engaged in a staff meeting, if they're not engaged in the process, they're really not there mentally and they're not there emotionally, so they might as well not be there physically either. So you have to get people involved in the process, whether it's selling, whether it's management, whether it's marketing, whether it's speaking, and that's what I do. And that's a tough thing to say, to say, hey, the key is to annoy people, but how do you use that in, in sales as well? Because I'm sure that's a way to be successful in sales. You have to make people realize that it's uh, what I'm doing is I'm not doing it in a disrespectful way. There might be, I might say something in it's 30, 40 minutes, it might annoy one of your listeners. My intent was not to do that, but the bottom line is, is that if, if I just think, think about, if, if you're listening to this, think about uh, when did you change something in your life to stopping a habit, to changing something, to doing something different or new? I will guarantee you because you saw something, heard something, somebody said something to you that made you feel uncomfortable about the status quo, about the way things are. And so did, did you get upset about that? I'll guarantee you, I have people walk out of my eyes and say, they're really annoyed with me. I could tell you a really sh long story. I'll, I'll make it short. <laughs> my last full-time job, I was the vice president of sales and marketing for a $600 million company. I worked there for a year. It was a privately held company. The president came up to me one day after a year and says, you know, it's not working. I said, you know, John, you're right, it's not working. So I left. I, you know, I, he was, this was after I started my career. He wanted me to work for him and, and help him build the organization. I went back into speaking full time. Doesn't matter, uh, it's been like 30 years. Uh, two, three years ago, I got a call from John. He says, I'm at, I sold that company. I now have another company. We're doing about $3 billion in sales. We're having a national annual management meeting. I've got about 600, 700 managers coming in for a week. I want you to come in and speak for three or four hours. I said, let me see if I understand this, John. You want me to come in and say stuff to your employees that I said to to our fellow employees 30 years ago, and you fired me for that. He said, yeah, we'll, we can talk about that when you get here. So what's changed? Nothing. What changed was his attitude about what I said and what I did and what I did. He didn't feel it was appropriate. So he let me go. Now, 20, 30 years later, he's saying, that's what I need in my organization to create the growth and to create the stability and to create the profitability that we want. I love it. So you got to get under people's skin. You got to be engaged, yes. But you do it. You don't, you know, you, you, I'm not talking about all this race crap that's going on today and all this gender stuff. You do it in a respectful way. But the bottom line is I am not going to let those things get in the way of me sharing what I feel is my version of truth. I, one of the articles I wrote, I put on LinkedIn uh, last week, it's called Truth Doesn't Have Versions. And we all have our interpretation of what truth is, and we don't have time to go into that, but all the, the reasons why I believe what I believe is true, and that's the only the way to look at it. My job is not to change your version of truth, but I also, is your I, my job is not to let you change my version of truth and how I share that simply because it might offend you. If it offends you, I'm sorry, but if there were five people in the room, it probably didn't offend them all the same. It only offended the people who had an issue with the issue, not with the way I presented it. So in sales, you have to have the professional ability to be able to read the client. If you hold back things, in sales and you don't say things you don't do things during the sales process i guarantee it'll bite you in the butt at some time during the relationship if you if you do business with those people guarantee it. It, it seems so obvious that people should find their truth they should be real they should be authentic and everyone says it over and over again but people still you know whether you're in a sales meeting you don't want to offend someone you don't want to hurt someone is it just because of our fear our feelings what it's, do you think well, so, i mean i tell my audiences all the time i would like you to like me but i really don't care <laughs> And Why don't you care? I, I, because I, it's more important that I like me than you like me. If, if, if at the end of this interview, I have lost my value because I tried to please you or to please your listeners, I, I've got to drive all the way home and I've got to, oh, I wish I'd have said this, I wish you'd have said that. I don't want to go to sleep at night being or look in the mirror being uncomfortable with who I am. So do I need your approval? Do I need your acceptance? My whole point is, as I learned a long time ago, 
both in sales and in speaking, that I am not here for your approval. I'm here to help you solve a problem. I'm here to help you fix something. But if I, if I don't do that effectively because I'm more concerned about my approval or my acceptance, I'm going to let us both down. So my job is to be honest. If I lose the sale because I'm honest, you know what? I'd rather lose the sale because I'm honest than make the sale because I wasn't honest and then have to live with that, those consequences long term. I've learned the hard way that it's much better to make a sale based on integrity than it is to lose a sale based on a lack of integrity. 100%. I guess my question is, is it's got to be extremely difficult to be able to say, tell yourself, I don't care what other people it's, think. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, I've turned it into a fun process. How, all right. How do you, how do you teach it? I just tell people, if, 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 you know, yellow is not my favorite color, okay? And, but I can't it, believe you said that in this, this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but orange is not my favorite color. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a senior citizen. I've got a girlfriend, and, and I, I, I keep telling her, stop trying to tell me how to dress, how to drive. And it was, I, you're not my wife, and you're not my mother. Okay? It I doesn't mean I won't, I'm not willing to grow and change and improve, but I'm going to do it according to my standards and what I feel is right for me, not according to you. Because if I sit here and try to get you to accept me, okay, finally, Jesse accepts me. Now, this afternoon, I got this. i got to get this. All of a sudden, who am I? I'm this, this masquerade of an individual. Uh, one of the things about my hero, Mark Twain, always said, he said, if you always tell the truth, now again, this is my truth, okay, you don't have to remember what you said. The bottom line is, so if I'm dishonest with you in sales, oh, did I say that to that client or that prospect, or did I say this to that audience? Or this? Why did I do that? Why? Uh, it's just too tiring. It really is. I'm having more fun speaking around the world than I probably had in the last 20, 30 years because... I, I, I have been, always been this way in my sales strategy, my management strategy, and dealing with clients. Every one of my clients is multimillionaires. They all have more money than I do. They're all most famous than I am. But, but my repeat business is over 90%. And if you called every one of my clients and said, why do you keep hiring this guy? For, for t I mean, one of my clients, I've been doing business since 1990. I've done over 100 programs for them. Why do you keep hiring? Because he just gets under our skin, but he does it in a way that he makes us want to improve or change. I, I don't know, is it part of my DNA? Is it part of 30, 40 years of learning? Is it part of making lots of mistakes? What it really is, is, is that I really mean this. I hope the audience likes what I'm saying. I really am not gonna let it ruin my day if they're not. That's, that's great. All right, I, I could unpack that for a long time, but that's, that's, <laughs> that's it, it, it's fascinating because I think there has to be a point sometimes, even as a kid, you want to please your parents, then you want to please your Guilty. teachers. Yeah, you want to please your teachers. Guilty. You want to, all of that. Guilty. Like, and is it just a grad, I mean, I'm staying honest now. Is it still, is it just a gradual process or was there an aha moment for you? You're like, you know what? I don't care what people think any, about me anymore. I'm going to do my thing. Not, uh, I think that the bottom line is, is it, you, you have to decide you get one life. And because of the health issues I had last year, it made me realize, you know, how precious life is. There are people in their 30s and 40s that lost their lives in these hurricanes or, or earthquakes. There's, I mean, people all over the world are dying out of starvation, and they're, and they're four years old, and 15 years old, 20 years old. And they're not just in Africa. They're in the United States. So we, have, we have people who are younger than you are and older than I am that are, that are dying and younger. What Are they cherishing the life they have, which is... Be who you are. Do what you're supposed to do. I will guarantee you I've affected in, in a positive way more lives because of this attitude of who I am than I would have if I'd have been like some of the other people in my profession. They might have more money, they might be more successful, and they might be more famous. But I'll guarantee you they haven't touched some of the lives because when they stand in front of an audience, when they stand in front of a prospect, uh, they're a fraud. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you find out who you are, though. I'll give you an example. Personally, you know, obviously, I was running baseball teams. Now I'm giving speeches. I'm doing my thing. And I think you're constantly developing. You're evolving into someone. You're, you're, you're becoming. It's not, I heard a great quote the other day. It's not you have arrived. It's that you're always becoming. So how do you know who you are? I mean, you say, I'm going to be true to myself. Well, 20, 30 years ago, Tim, you were probably different than you are today to an extent. Or 50 years ago. Or We're all a work in progress. We have to be willing to be molded by our environment, by God, whatever your spiritual preferences are, whatever your emotional preferences are. You have to be willing to accept your, your weaknesses. I know I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. I know I make mistakes. I'll always make mistakes. Uh, I know I, there, I, could be, I could have done a better job with this client or a better job with this audience. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting the fact that we are not all better today than we were five years ago. And we will be better in five years than we are today. Mm -hmm. 
I think what, what allows that to happen is your openness and your willingness to evolve and not according to other people's expectations or other people's rules or other people's behavior, but according to what feels right. We all have an inner voice. Uh, and that inner voice, I, I don't care what you choose to call it, uh, you're driving down a highway and all of a sudden you're not sure whether to take this exit or that exit, and your inner voice is take this exit, but you override that and you keep going, and you end up lost. One of the things I've learned in life, going all the way back to the beginning, when I, when I honored my inner voice, something inside me that says, don't take this client, don't take this engagement, don't get on this plane, do this. So whenever I honored that inner voice, things always worked out. May not have worked out the way I wanted them to or at the point, but they always worked out. Every time I dishonored that inner voice, things always got screwed up. I don't care if it was a marriage and then a divorce. I can remember standing at the altar with my second marriage, and God is telling me, don't do this. I, I didn't pay attention to that voice. I mean, there wasn't bells and whistles, and there wasn't lightning. Yep. But something inside me says, don't do this. I did it anyway, and 18 years later, we got divorced. So could I have avoided that drama if I'd have paid attention? The one thing I've learned is... I am now paying more attention and honoring more of the inner voice than letting my ego, my arrogance, my experience, my history let make me, or the need for recognition, the need for money, the need for control, that, that isn't it. My mantra is I'm on God's schedule. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. And I don't know what that is, but I'm not going to question it. I'm, I'm here with you. I said, yeah, no question. I've turned out a lot of things like this. The bottom line is you know, I respect you and I respect your organization, so I will do it. The point is, is that... How do you know? Pay attention to what, I mean, I don't, there's a, uh, I, I read two things. Uh, one, there's a, the, that's called the Monte, uh, Mont, Mont Butterfly. It's a, uh, what is it called? Something Butterfly. I wrote an article about this. It flies over 50,000 miles every year, back and forth, to get to Mexico to a specific town. The, uh, there's a, uh, a bird that flies from Canada and flies 26,000 miles every year. So that's, that's why, that's why this is a bird. You know, squirrels know enough to gather nuts in the winter. Ants know enough to gather stuff so they can survive. If the an Almighty Creator put something inside all those animals and said, "Fly south, go here, do this," here we are, humans, the ultimate living experience on the earth. Wouldn't there be something comparable or similar in us? I believe it is. I think the problem is when we our lives get screwed up guilty. It's because I did not pay attention to that guidance system. And when things worked out, I paid attention. So my suggestion is when you, and, and you know, I know when I'm going against that inner guidance system, there's something in my gut, there's nervousness, there's tension, there's anxiety, there's stress. When I'm going in the direction that this guidance just wants me to go, it's peaceful. It's, it's not easy, always easy. It always turn out, turn out the way I'm. There's disappointment. But, the, but it, I, I don't have that same inside frustration that I have. I, I mean, I had a friend of mine last year. said, Tim, I want you to help me out for three months. Business is a little slow. I could use the money. So I shut down and I helped him for three months. Every time, and we talked every morning on the phone for three months. Every time I had to pick up the phone, and I'm still doing business with him, and I'm still submitting articles for him, but every time I had to talk on the phone, anxiety is nagging, and I'm only doing it because I need a few extra bucks. Finally, I went up to Bowling Rock, and I went up through the day and went hiking, and said, you know what? Message was, you need to end this. I called I call Tony, I said, Tony, I'm not going to do this anymore. It was like this weight was lifted yeah. from my, and I'm sure you've been there. Oh, yeah. When you've done what you know you're supposed to do, you don't know why or how, but if it, it was the right reason, starting a business, ending a business, letting an employee go, walking away from some business. <coughs> Excuse me. The bottom line is, is that we have that guidance system. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a better job of honoring that today than I did 20 years ago. Yeah. Outstanding. You know, you spoke over four years ago to our group. I remember that in, in Belmont, and there was one main thing that I took away from that. And it was, you, you opened your speech saying there's only one thing that you can really control. And I'm sure you know where we're going with this. And I'd love for you to share how that is people have challenges controlling their thoughts and they try to control everything else. Um, I read two books a week and I'm reading a book right now. It's about, about thought control because I, I, I want to be a neurosurgeon when I was in high school and college. So I've always been interested in brain function, how the brain works, because I want to understand how I can help people better use their brain, not from a scientific or from a medical perspective, but from a growth perspective. And the bottom line is this, is that when we, when we have the need for control, there's an emotion inside us that has some reason for us to control that. It's, I want you to like me, 
I want you to approve of me. I want you to buy, buy business for me. I want you to hire me. So I, I have this need to control what's going on out here. The problem, what people don't realize is there's not really nothing you can really control outside of yourself. You can control what you eat, but you can't control what you eat, how that, what that does to you. You can control how you drive, but you can't control how the person behind you or in front of you drives. You, you, there is, think about it. You can control how you dress, but you can't control how people react to how you dress. You can control how short your hair is, but you don't know. Th th when you really think about it, I can't, I, I can't control anything. I can control what I do. I control the decisions I make. I, don't, I can't control the outcome of that decision. I can control the actions I take, but I can't control the outcome of those actions. And what, what, what's happening today in the world is this selfie-oriented world is people want more control over everything. And I will tell you, the number one contributor to death and illness today is stress. The number one contributor to stress is the need for control or impatience. So if somebody is a control freak or they have an issue with impatience, what they don't realize is they're, they're, they're destroying their body little by little and they're, they're taking life away from them because stress increases the acidic balance in the, in the body because the body is about 90-95% water. And so if you're under stress all the time, that water it has an acidic rather than an alkaline base. And so if you surround your organs in, in acid for 10, 15, 20 years, trust me, they're going to start to erode. The bottom line is control is, is a need that I, I don't know where it's coming from, from, from certain generations, whether it's older generations and the fact that, okay, I just lost my IRA and there's this problem going on. I, we don't have any money. i got to get a part-time job. It's these 20 and 30-year-olds who think that they have a right to be able to walk right into a $100,000-a-year job and, and only work 15 hours a week. I don't know where it comes from, but I do know this. I have seen a lot of it, and I tell my audiences all the time, you know what? Stop working yourself into a frenzy and stuff you can't control because all you're doing is killing yourself. So what have you seen change now that people are trying to, they don't understand control. They're on social media, they're on Facebook. Every day they're doing, as you said, selfies. They're doing all this. And what have you seen when you're speaking to these groups? What do you offer as advice to say, hey, this isn't something you need to be doing? Or, I mean, because social media is relevant. Like you can't run away from it. You have to be a part of it. What have you seen or what are you suggesting? Yes, you, 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 you said you have to be a part of it. You can be a part of it. Let's take Facebook. Okay. Uh, I go to my Facebook page maybe once every two or three months just to get to take stuff off of it that people put on there. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I have 4,000, 4,500 Facebook friends. I know maybe 100 of them. Um, and I, I, I saw somebody who's uh, just happened to go through this stuff. Somebody posted, but they're going through this situation with their divorce, with their, and here's what the wife did. Here. And I'm thinking, why would someone put that on out, out there, okay? Private stuff like that. They actually did some surveys, and they found that people who are on Facebook, uh, tend, and, their, and their desire to be on Facebook is to have more friends and more connections and know what's going on. More of them are feel less connected because it's Saturday, you're home reading, looking at your computer Facebook page, and all your friends, oh, they're out hiking, they're out water rafting, they're on vacation, you're sitting there all by yourself doing nothing. People are feeling more disconnected because of, of these social media as opposed to connected. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying is if, if you let it now, when I say it, you remember fax machines, okay? <laughs> you remember when there were no cell phones. Yep. Cell phones have evolved to what we have today. The evolution of the, of the cell phone isn't over, okay? The evolution of the computer isn't over. The evolution of Facebook is not over. There will be something next. Mm -hmm. the, 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 all of a sudden, the world hasn't come to an end just because Amazon is here and everything else is going to stop. No. There, if you look back over the last 100 years, change is constant. Change is coming faster than it ever has. What we need to realize is, is that we, we can see these kinds of changes as use them as a partner, or we can have them be an obstacle. So I'm thinking, okay, LinkedIn. How do I use LinkedIn to get more business? How do, do I use social media? I, I, I have a Twitter account. I, I think I've been there once in like two years. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't have time for this, okay? Yeah. I don't have time for it. And then we'll say, how do you know what's going on in the world? Okay, so what should I know what's going on in the world? Do I need to know what happened with a, a somebody who's fishing in Canada versus what's going on in Africa? There, there is so much going on out there. We are doubling man's total accumulated knowledge today every seven to 10 days. That is more information you and I can keep up with. So how do we decide which of that information is appropriate for us? The diff what's happening today is people are replacing wisdom with information. They think that information will solve their problems. They think that information will make them be more successful. They think that information will make them happier. 
Trust me, the divorce ratio is the same today as it was in 1950. 55 to 60% of all couples got divorced in 1950-55. It's the same today, 40 years there, but we got all these books on divorce, we got all these webinars on divorce, we got all these seminars on divorce, and yet the divorce rate has stayed the same as it has for 60 years. Why? Because the principles you know, I could I could look at success. You show me somebody who's successful who never got a college degree. So you have to have a college degree. I can show you people who've successful who've never been on Facebook. So so saying that these individual approaches or concepts are critical, it's what I call you need a blending process. And the blending process is what do I need for where I am and what I'm doing that will work for me? Not that you think will work for me or not that works for you in your business. I'm gonna learn from you. Hmm. I can learn from that technique, but you know what? I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to adjust. There's a theory that people, you've heard of it. People say you got to think outside the box, which means think differently. People only think outside the box when things aren't working. That's the basic premise. So if something's not working, you think outside the box. What you're trying to do is come up with a different approach, a different philosophy. The bottom line, the problem is, is when you think outside the box, you try a new tactic, you try a new policy, you try a new approach, you try a new product, you try a new market. It doesn't didn't work. What do you think the average tendency is when you tried something new and it didn't work? You you jump back in the box because you jump back into what's comfortable, what you've done for thirty years that you know has worked. It might not have been working successfully, and you felt you needed something new, but you, all you knew was that didn't work. So let's go back to what we knew because we don't want to go broke, we don't want to be alone, we don't want to be this, we don't. So we go. The box. And my, my philosophy is very simple. If it, what you're doing is not working, throw the box away. Don't give yourself the ability to jump back into what doesn't work. Force yourself to either make the new thing work or find something that will work using your creativity, your imagination, the stuff around you. The world can give us that. The internet can give us that. It can give us that information. But when you look at billions of websites that I could go to to be happy, to be successful, which website do I use? Which webinar do I go to? Which podcast do I listen to? There's just too many choices. Okay. You're going to spend every hour, every minute of every day of your life trying to figure out how to solve your problems, and you'll never come up with a solution. Because you're not trying new things? No, it's because you are unable to realize that the solutions are not there. Where are the solutions? The solutions are inside your own heart, inside your own mind. Yes. But how do you learn about those? Well, you pay attention. Okay, You listen to the... I mean, how many podcasts do you think are, are, are on the internet today? A couple million, ten million? Which one do you listen to? You have to have a filtering process that says... This is who I'm going to pay attention to. This is the book I'm going to do. I go into the bookstore once a week and I'm always looking for new books. I go to certain sections. I'm looking for certain authors because I know they are the kinds of people who get under my skin, but they make me want to change it all. I don't spend my time reading books that are going to waste my time. I don't spend money. I, I expose myself to people. I expose myself to seminars. I expose myself to, uh, to opportunities. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always asking, what's something that you've read? What's something that you've learned? What's a seminar that you've been to? The bottom line is, is that we have to be open and receptive I, for example, I have a recommended reading list. It's 100 of my favorite books that I've read over the years. Mm-hmm. I offer that to all my audiences. Not one of them is my books. It's all just books by other people. It's free. I'll give it to you. It's no big deal. Bottom line is, is it how many of those books do you think the average person who requests that actually read? Mm-hmm. And yet, I'm saying out of, a, out of about 6,000 books I've read during my life, this is my top 100. Some are spiritual, some are business, some are relationship. But I'm saying that you know, if you try one of these, just one of them, Miguel Ruiz's book, The Voice of Knowledge, an incredible book. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on. Dan Baker's book, the, the, What Happy People Know. <coughs> so you have to be willing <coughs> to expose yourself. And, but I also have a rule. If in the first 20 pages, you don't get under my skin, yeah. there's too many books to read. I'm, if in the first five minutes I'm listening to a webinar, you, you're, it's all about self-promotion, it's all about you, turn it off, I'm well, going to I, I, I do want to get into self-promotion, but my question is, do you think people should go deep in certain things as opposed to just go widespread over a lot of things because it sounds like you go very deep in books but you're not involved in social media as much um what do you suggest that because i mean again people need to learn they need to grow they need to develop i i I will approach what i call the blending process in marketing in marketing you have to have a website but if you're relying 100 percent of your business from from your website you're going to go broke if you're relying on 100% of your business from Facebook, you're going to go broke. If you're relying on 100% of your business from advertising, you're going to go broke. If you're relying on 100% of your business from TV advertising, I could go on and on with yes. What you have to do is you have to know where is your market buying? What, what is your marketplace using? 
to make the buying decisions. If your marketplace is using social media, then you need to buy ads in social media. But the bottom line is, there's a lot of competition in social media, so you have to find a way to stand out other than using the social media. So you have to have a blending process. How have you stood out? It's very simple. One of the things I've done for years is I send send out five books every week to, to prospects. Before I came here, I dropped off 10 books at the the post office. There's a short note. I give them a free book with an autograph to the president of the company. I I, I just went to the 100 biggest companies in North Carolina. When I finish that, I'll go to the 100 biggest private companies. And I go go around all around the country. I've been doing this for years. Radio Shack, years ago, bought before they went bankrupt, and I wasn't responsible for the bankruptcy, by the way, but they bought uh, 50,000 copies of my book, Soft Sale, because, <laughs> because I sent a copy to John Roach. He said, I love your book. I want all my employees to have it. So, and that came because I sent him a book for free. Now, again, I, I, I'm sending out 350 books a year, because on average, you know, five, six, seven a week. Uh, I don't get 350 speaking engagements yeah. from those, but I don't, I don't need more than five or 10 in a year because my, my philosophy with my clients is I'm looking for the relationship, I'm looking for the lifetime value, not just this sale. So if I can have a client that hires me 100 times since 1990, that is worth giving him a $10 book and a $10 CD that, to him to consider me. So my, all my friends are, are using what? Just what? LinkedIn, social media, and all this stuff. I'm using that, okay? I'm redoing my website, I'm putting some videos on my website, but I'm still sending out handwritten notes to five CEOs of companies, whether it's five million, a hundred million, or a billion, and they're getting in. What are they doing with it? They pass on other vice presidents, they say, hey, get this guy in there, we need to talk to him. The bottom line is, almost all my business during my career has come more from those books that I've sent out. What did I do? And you're sending your books? One, yes, one of my books. Yeah. I stopped doing that. 19, I'm sorry, it was probably 2005 because I, I got all this other stuff going on. I've got, I got this internet, I got websites, I got this, I got seminars, I got. I stopped doing that. You know what happened to my business revenue? It declined dramatically. Why? Because I relied too heavily on one aspect of the blending process. Yes, I need a website. Yes, I need to do seminars. Yes, I need to do this. I need to, but I also need to rely on the personal touch. I will tell you that from my experience, you show me that somebody's successful today, I'll show you somebody is blending the right amount of personal touch with technology. You show me somebody that's failing today, I'll show you somebody's only using the personal touch or only using technology. You need both. Outstanding. So sending out your books is a form of self-promotion. But talk, we were talking offline off, off before, but that's been one of your challenges, self-promoting. You know, you talk about social media. That's such an easy way to promote what you're doing. And in your great uh, book, and I think also the CD, Success is a Decision, you talk one of the main ways of people are successful is by self-promoting, an uncomfortable subject. Can you talk a little bit about why you see that as a way to be successful and also how it's held you back a little bit? Well, the example, one of the examples I used in the book was uh, there, are, there are preachers around the country, around the world that are better than Billy Graham. Um, there are um, people who are celebrities that are smarter or better than Oprah Winfrey. Um, I could go on in every, every area of business or life. But what made them successful was they had the ability, the knack, the approach to, to get known, to be, have people become aware of them. Uh, and how did they? How have they? Have you seen they did? Well, they how did, did Doctor Phil do? Doctor Phil was nobody until he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Nobody had ever heard of him. But so how did he get? Like how do you go about getting? You, there? you have to promote you. You have to put yourself out there. So for example, one of the things that I've done for years, uh, I did. I would always send one of my new books or a CD to about eight to ten radio stations or TV stations. Okay. Well, the problem was is um, it, it didn't happen. Uh, I think about the guy who wrote the book, um, uh, he was from, uh, not Myrtle Beach, he was from um, a coastal town down in uh, North Carolina. Um, he wrote uh, The Message. He wrote, uh, he's written eight or ten okay. these kind of love story books, basically. It doesn't matter what his name is, everybody who's on Not Nicholas Sparks. Nicholas yes. Sparks? Okay. Yes. Well, he, he, how did he get his first book, which made him successful? He had several people he knew in his lifetime. One of them happened to be an assistant vice president in a major publishing company. So he sent him a copy of the manuscript. And this, this guy says, I love this manuscript. This is a great book. Went to the publisher. And they said, I don't know, man. It's just, who, who is he? He's a nobody. You know, he's, he's never had a book before. Look, let's just do it. He, 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 he got what I call a champion. That individual was willing to go through the motions to get his book published 
Long story short, he got a $7 million, million dollar advance on his second book, and he's written several books. All, most of them have become movies now. Yeah. Uh, and he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire because this one guy was, had a champion status. So what I've been looking for my whole life is somebody who would represent me in that, to become that advocate, to become that champion. I've had several of them. Unfortunately, all of them have died. Uh, one of my favorites was Charlie Tremendous Jones. He sold... Uh, uh, probably 100,000 copies of Soft Cell to many of his clients in, in, in Europe and in the Far East, which led to its, its being published in, in more than 25 languages. He, he, he believed in me. I've had other people who've, who've believed in me and have promoted me, but I've never been able to capture someone who could accelerate me into the limelight mm-hmm. of fame. And it, it took me till about maybe age 55 or 60 to suddenly realize that that's not what my purpose was, fame. And that's why that hadn't happened. It was to just you know, touch certain lives, 10 at a time, five at a time, one at a time. The bottom line was is that fame was not something I should go after. Okay? Fame was not my, my mission or my purpose in life. And when I finally let that go, I started having more fun. So the point is, is that, but if you want, you need to have someone who will promote you. You need to have people who have influence over an audience that represents potential for you, whether it's an author, whether it's in your clients or whatever. So you, you have to find that advocate. You have to find that chip. And how do you do that? You just start reaching out to people. You reach out to people. I sent out, on, I have uh, probably 4,000 LinkedIn connections. And one of the gals who was a meeting planner, she was in my connection, I don't know who she is, she had a thing on LinkedIn, and uh, so I emailed her, says, uh, you know, are you interested in, a, in, in creating a new relationship with a, with a career veteran uh, global speaker? And she emailed me back and said, no, we have more speakers than we can handle right now. I mean, so I, I, I do things like that, but I don't rely heavily only on doing that. So there are other things that you, you have to have. And the blending process is made up of those criteria because you can't do it all. Yeah. You have to say which are the most profitable ones for you. So which have, which say, had the biggest impact. So some people say, why would you give away 350 books and 350 CDs? Well, so what is that? Maybe $2,000 a year. So if I give away $2,000 of the CDs and the postage and, and I make $10,000 off that, it was worth it. It's a great investment. If I make $100,000 yeah. off that, it was worth it. Yeah. But I can't, I don't know that. Well, isn't there a better way to reach these company presidents? Yes, I could call them, get their secretary, get their receptionist, well, and I'll never get to their... This way, I put a, a right on the cover of this large envelope, personal. So it, it might end up only on the secretary's desk, but it says personal. She opens the book, and she sees the book is autographed to the president. I guarantee, I don't know if he'll read it or not, but I will guarantee she will take that book and put it on his desk, say so-and-so, hey, Jesse, we just, you just got a book from some guy by the name of Tim Connor, and he's autographed it to you. Uh, so I, I got the exposure. Now, where the exposure will go, I don't know. But you have to find creative ways to stand above or beyond the people who are doing the same thing you're doing in your same marketplace. And I will tell you, everybody's relying on social media. So if you, if you want to stand out, yes, use social media, but find a way to leverage that differently, more creatively than other people are doing it. That's brilliant. And you talked about two things there. You talked about getting someone that was your hero, that was your person that pushing you out. Basically, your champion is how you worded it. For businesses too, it sounds like they need to find those evangelists, those people that love them to push them. So what do you have to do? You just have to kind of go above and beyond for these people and then hope that they will love what you're doing and then push you out? You have to find a way to connect with them. I don't care if it's through a church, through a cold call, through coming to an event that you know they're going to go to. I don't have time for all of those things because of other things that I'm doing. So I have found using my books. I will tell you, before I had my books, I sent other people's books to people. I mean, I can remember one of my favorite books by each Akadizes was called Corporate America. It was written, uh, uh, not Corporate America, uh, I forget. It was, he, he wrote it in 1950. Probably one of the best managed books I've ever read. It's not in print anymore. But I went out every, every week, I bought five copies of each Akadizes book. And I sent it to company presidents. I didn't have my own book at that point. Yeah. So, I'm, and people say, well, why would you promote Itchak Adizi to these people? are going to hire him before they hire you. But you know what? I'm the one that sent him that because there was a note in that book. And I autographed yeah, the book. Yeah. I autographed to Jesse. Hope you enjoy this book. This is a great book. It'll help you in your organization. One of the clients that hired me 
who had done probably 50 programs for, the reason he hired me was I sent him that book, and he said, why did you send me that? Because it was a great book, and I, want, and I knew it would help you in your business. He says, we need to talk, because if you're willing to send help, send people to me that will help me, then I want to talk to you too. So we had a conversation, I did a bunch of programs for him. It's Jackie Daisy's, who's probably dead now. His book led me to them, and I was not ashamed to, you know, there's lots of great tools out there. Yeah. We, I will guarantee, I used to use, I mean, I send out probably 20 to 30 birthday cards every month and to clients. Um, cards. I stopped doing that three years ago and I started using the, the on the websites that you could send free cards. Yeah. I'm thinking everybody else is using these. I want to stand out. I want to send them a card that comes in the mail. It's handwritten in the address. They open it up and say, hey Jesse, happy birthday. Signed Tim. Uh, that makes me say, well that takes a lot of time. Well, Okay, it took me five minutes to send that card. Does that five minutes contribute to the value of his respect for me and his willingness to continue to do business with me? More so than he got... I mean, I had 350 people wish me happy birthday last night. I don't even know who those people are on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I just kept deleting that. That's not the way you get noticed. Yeah. You have to find out what people do and what's important. Uh, one of my favorite clients in Plymouth, Michigan, um, it was a big construction company. I sent him, um, oh, first sent him a book, and then I sent him a, 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 at the time it was cassettes, I sent him a, somebody else's, not mine, cassettes. And he says, what, and they finally, and then I called him, he said, why do you keep sending me stuff? Because I said, because I've heard you're really a, a, a very successful guy in the Michigan and the construction business, and I, and I just want to let you know that this, they, I thought these would help. He says, we need to talk. I went in and talked, and, and he said, next thing I know, after about 10 minutes, he says, why have we hired you to come in? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what can you do? And he said, well, fine. And he hired me to do a significant amount of business for him, and I use other people's stuff to, to get noticed, okay? Mm -hmm. If you don't have your own experience and you're just starting out, you don't have your own material. What's wrong with using somebody else's leverage? Because that's what it is. But you have to only do that in markets where that leverage will work. Love you it. can't, I can't send out 4,000 books yep. to my 4,000 Facebook friends and expect this. I will tell you, in five years, I've never sold a single book or CD or got a single engagement off all of my connections in Facebook, LinkedIn, and and you people will say, well, maybe it's because you're not active. No, you're not. You're not doing enough for them. Hey, I have 170 articles on LinkedIn every week. I add a minimum of one article and a little thing that says if you want to. And you've never got one engagement from. I've LinkedIn. never gotten one engagement from those from. And yet I've got. And again, I've had. I've got a lot of people who have searched me and looked at me. Yeah. And, and they're all different articles and all different subjects. Yeah. So I'm getting the exposure. And I'm thinking, and I've had friends of mine say, you know, we, I teach you how to use LinkedIn to get more business. There are speakers out there who are teaching speakers how to speak. And the reason they're teaching speakers how to speak is because they're not making money speaking. They're, they're trying to tell people, if you do things this way, well, let me ask you a question. You did this, you're teaching this seminar, you're charging $5,000 to come out to California and spend a week with you to learn how to be a better speaker. What else did you do this year? Is this the only seminar you're doing? Well, yeah. So you're doing this because people, because of your reputation, your fame, they think you, they can teach you. And the bottom line is, is there's a lot of people gaining notoriety by promoting stuff that they think they have the right to promote, but they don't really do it. Definitely. I'm saying this. There's a lot of very talented resources out there in the marketplace for us. There's too many to pay attention to all of them. You have to decide which ones are most appropriate value and then milk those. So are you saying, I mean, we haven't directly gone into sales techniques, but this is all sales. But Because sales is about persuasion. 100%. But do you think relationships and connecting with people is the number one most important absolutely, thing? Absolutely. Every one of my, I spoke to a group in, um, where was I? It was in uh, Oklahoma City. Six weeks ago, it was a pharmacy association. I did three two-hour sessions, and the president of the association, I had about two or 300 people, came up to me, he says, first half of the first session, you're really annoying people, you're getting under their skin. Second session, you're really annoying, you know, everybody's, nobody left this session. Third session, I'm, all these people want you back next year. They hired me to come back for September in 2018 before I left this meeting that I did with them in Oklahoma City. I did another meeting um, two weeks ago 
and I won't mention the name of the client, but and I only did one two-hour session. He came up and he says, everybody wants you back at our 2018 meeting. And it wasn't because I was trying to get back to their 2018 meeting. I wasn't trying to oversell myself. I'm the best guy in the world. I'm the guy you should hire. He said, the reason they want you is because you dealt with reality. You didn't, you didn't, you know, stuff this stuff and make it sound easy. You didn't give everybody a warm bath. You got under people's skin. You annoyed them. You made them upset. But they knew that's what they needed in a marketplace that's uncertain in order to succeed. And they trust you that you have more ideas on more topics that would benefit them. So I mean, and I, I mean, I'm thinking the more I annoy people, the more I get hired. Is, is it? Well, that, that's maybe how you're different. But, but, but I'm thinking, you know what? I look at my peers and my friends. They're not that way. Some of them are making more money than I am, and some are more famous than I am. So I mean, what's the mix? The mix for me is I can go to bed at night, and I can, I'm okay with how I'm doing this. I'm not a fraud. One of the things I learned early in the business is before I, got, before I had this what we call congruence, I remember there was things that I was doing off the platform that I wasn't doing on the platform, and a friend of mine, Og Mandino, was one of my heroes, great author, great speaker, uh, wrote the greatest miracle in the world, the greatest salesman in the world. I, I'll never forget Og. He was, I, wrote, I dedicated one of my books to him. He says, look it. He said, if you're going to be different on the platform than off the platform, I suggest when you get off the platform, you go home. I said, I said what? He said, I said, I don't want to do that, Og. He said, well, then get to every meeting you speak at the day before you speak. Stay all day the day you speak, leave the day after you speak. He says you will do more business because of the day you're there, because people feel like you're engaged, you care, you're interested. Every speaking engagement I do, I don't care if it's a 20-minute engagement, I get there the day before, I'm there the day of the meeting, and I don't leave till the day after, because I'm connecting with people. I did a program for Snap-on Tools two years ago. It was a five-day meeting. I was there for six days. I only did two, a two-hour session every day, but I'm there. I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm getting to know them. I'm understanding. The point is, is it, it's creating those relationships. It's creating that, that connection. And I will tell you, and I, and I don't want to sound that I'm against technology. I am not against technology. But you don't create this t the connection, in my opinion, that you need with your employees, with your suppliers, with your vendors through technology that you can on a telephone. I tell my clients all the time, Use technology as a tool, not as a crutch. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you have a choice to talk to an employee in your office or send them an email, talk to them. Yes. You have a chance. I'm not saying you shouldn't send your wife your, or your husband or your boyfriend a text. I send texts to my girlfriend all the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm running late. But I'm where do you really connect? Yeah, but, but, when you, yeah. but when you have an argument, when you have a disagreement, when you have a, something that's important to you, you don't do that in an email. You know, because too many people can misunderstand this. You have to be able to have... You show me a couple today. You show me a boss and an employee. You show me partners in a business. I just had lunch with a, a former client. He, had, he, was, he left the business and went to move for another organization. He was a, one of their key ma managing people. He was only there six months, he said, because he, he and the owner couldn't talk to each other. They could not have honest, face-to-face -face confrontations because there wasn't the trust, there wasn't the respect, there wasn't the understanding. There wasn't something in that relationship, and it ended. You show me couples that can't do that, and I show you couples that are heading to divorce. I show you employees that can't go to their boss, or bosses that can't go to their employees, and can't have those kind of, well, you know, but you gotta be careful today with political correctness. What's more important, political correctness or, or surviving in your business? I mean, I'm tr don't get me started on this, but the bottom line is, if I'm going to go out of business because I've got to be politically correct, I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm going to keep my business. If I've got to be divorced versus and be alone the rest of my life, I'd rather be alone the rest of my life than have to, have to tiptoe through this relationship every day of my life. It's just life is too short to do that. If I'm a customer of yours, if I'm a vendor of yours, a supplier of yours, and I don't like your policies, I don't like the way you're representing my products or services, we're going to talk about that. And if you don't change that, I'm, I, you're not gonna, I, I don't care how badly I need that business. We're, we're losing that ability to talk to people. I don't care whatever, and in sales, you show me somebody that can pick up the phone and talk to people who, no matter who they're calling, I'm dealing with the vice president, but I need to have a conversation with the president, I can pick up the phone and call that president because they knew who I am. Because I create that in the relationship. I create the ability, I need, when we, if we have an issue going on on this issue, I need to be able to talk to anybody. For example, one of the things, I'm doing this 40 years, I've been paid in advance for every every speech, yep. every presentation around the world, every single one. It doesn't matter if it's 5000 or 100000 I've been paid in advance for everything. And the reason I do that is because it gives me the ability to have access to the people I need. Well, Tim, we, 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 I have, look, that's not going to work. I need to have the room set up this way. I need to do it this way. I need to do it that way. Because that gives me the a certain degree of control in the relationship. If I don't have that control, all of a sudden I don't have access to the key person, the meeting planner, or the you know, 
the CFO or to the president uh, who's going to introduce me in. and they want to introduce me the way they want to introduce me. Well, I want to, but I, I, you know, I need to have control of this stuff because it's important. One of the presentations I did a couple weeks. Why ago, is that important to you? Because I know how it needs to happen to unfold. I'll give you a good example. Uh, I spoke a couple weeks ago to a client. I had a handout. Uh, 250 people. They did not want to have the handout on the tables when people sat down. Part of the handout is an evaluation that says if you want to get my motivational booster articles once a week, if you want to get my free recommended reading list, check this, check this. That's all. You don't have to do anything else. Just give me the form. They wanted to have everybody grab the form on the way out of the meeting. And 250 people. So they put. No one's going to grab it. I didn't get one one form from people who, who. And yet I've got a couple emails from people. Hey, how do I get on your list? The bottom line is I was not able to control that until the last minute because there wasn't time between one session to another session to get them in the room and put on all the tables. But but the message is so many people are afraid to tell people how they want it. And what you said, you said annoyed, but it's really get under people's skin. And that actually helps create relationships, connections, if you're real. But most bosses, most people, wherever you are, they, they won't tell their employees how it really is sometimes. And you show me companies that are like that, and I'll show you the employees that are leaving. I'll show you organizations that are suffering and not growing and not productive or not, or not profitable. You show me. It's what I call in one of my books, Disconnect. There's a disconnect between reality and the culture that exists in the organization. And because maybe people care so much about what others think, they're not willing to tell someone, hey, you're not doing a good job here, and this is why, and this is... My girlfriend has been in the banking business for 35 years. She's a very, very credible person. She, she was wanted to keep working, but the bank she worked for over the last uh, six years have been through three mergers, <laughs> one merger, then another merger. Everything kept changing. She kept being treated less and less important, and yet, she, and, she, and then she got demoted from a personal banker to a teller. She's one of the most talented people in the organization in terms of experience, customer relationships, everybody's... People kept going, following her when there was a merger to another bank but simply because of her. And then she finally said, you know what? I'm, I'm just being treated like a second-class citizen. She, she retired last month. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to go do something else for the next year or two. I'm not going to stay in that industry, and I'm not going to say work for that organization. They lost a talented employee because they were totally out of touch with the value that she brought to that institution, whether it was her manager, whether it was her manager's manager, whether it was the president of the bank. Well, what's the easiest way to do that? I mean, what's the, or easiest, what's the best way to do that? Because it's tough, and you get bigger companies, and you're growing. How do you stay connected from a top-down I tell, I tell my clients all the time, bypass your direct reports. When what do you mean? It, when was the last time you took the janitor out to lunch? Okay. When was the last time you went on, on the road with one of your salespeople, one of your newer salespeople? I'm too busy. I'm the president of the company. Okay, fine. Okay. When was the last time you uh, you, you you wandered around the, the production floor? When was the last time you went to the mailroom and said, who are you? What are you doing? How, well, I'm a new employee. What are you, what, when, when was the last, last time you started? I, I don't care if you get 50,000 employees. You know? What was the last time? One of my best friends in high school, his name was Bill Crandall. His older brother, Bob Crandall, was the president of American Airlines for 20 years. American Airlines is, one, is I think, I think it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest airline in the world today. Mm-hmm. Bob's basic attitude was, he said, the most important thing in this organization is the people, the, the baggage handlers, the flight attendants. He said, I, I'm not going to listen to my vice presidents. I get 35, 50, 100 vice presidents. I'm not listening to them. I, I need to talk to the people who are making reservations. I need, what's going on? What's that? And he, he did that for 20 years. And, he, and that's why he grew American Airlines through this incredible organization. He retired eight, 10 years ago. But the bottom line is his whole premise was it's about connecting with people. It's by not, I can't connect with 50, 60, 70, 100,000 people, but I can connect with some one person in that department so that department knows that I care. That, 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 that group, that division. Yeah. When was the last time that you went to one of your branches? When was the last time you went to one of your divisions? When was the last time you talked to anybody other than the people who report to you? But even people with small businesses, they'll hear this and say, hey, my time is more valuable doing this or making the big calls or trying to bring in revenue, but your time is so much more valuable. Let me spending. ask you a question, Jesse. If, if, a, if a, I decide I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm in the banking business and I, I work really hard as the president, I get, I get a new $500 million customer mm-hmm. and they just deposited $500 million bucks into the account. Big company. And so now you go in on Monday morning and you're going to cash check or make a deposit and the teller that you're interacting with is doesn't like her job or is not happy or is, hates her hours or doesn't like... Yep. Can she can she have a negative impact on on the choice you made to go take your business at bank based on a 15, um, 20, 30 second interaction with that one person? Because who are they interacting right. with the most? Yeah. Whether yeah. it's a waiter or a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, one of I my favorite it. restaurants at Cornelius, I've been going there for a year. It's a great restaurant. I went there yesterday for lunch, and the, the, the server that waited on me, I could tell she didn't like her job. Something was going on, and I will tell you, they lost me as a customer. And the point, they, they didn't lose, t- I won't tell you who the restaurant is over because it's not appropriate. Yeah. But I have no problem telling my 
audiences, there are people out there, if they have a bad experience, they are telling other people, you are going to lose business if you don't understand the relationship. How, how are your employees that touch the lives of your customers? They are more important than the people who are sitting behind desks that never touch lives. Your salespeople, your customer service people, your drivers, your delivery people, they are the people who are impacting those relationships. And if, you, if they, for whatever reason, and are unhappy with their job, don't like the organization, and they can communicate that to your customers, one by one you're going to lose customers, you're going to lose vendors, you're going to lose suppliers. Look what's going on with all this kneeling today in, in, in the sporting business. You know all that. I'm not going to get into whether it's right, wrong, or different, the bottom line, but it is having an impact on customer relationships, and it will continue to until they figure out how to solve the problem. Because there's a disconnect. That's exactly right. There's a disconnect between what this group wants and what this group thinks they want. And I don't. And it can happen in a marriage. It can happen in any business. The bottom line is you, you have to know the reality that exists in your business. And I'm not talking about whether you have 10 employees, 10,000, or 100,000. You have to find a way to connect. So the most practical advice right now, if you're a business leader, is to invest in your relationships, but your relationships are your people, your connect. employees, as much as your customers. Connect with your people. I'm not saying have lunch every day with a, with a different. Well, yeah. What do you? What's, what's your practical advice? You find it. What's the most? What's the okay? Where do you have a problem in your department? Where do you have it? Well, we got a delivery problem. Or we've got a finance problem. We, okay. What? First of all, look at some of your challenges. Some of your issues that have been going on. We got a problem in, in technology. Well, all right. Well, what's the problem? Well, I don't know. Who's causing it? Well, I don't know. Well, go find out. Stop. Stop relying on the people who want to keep their job to tell you what you want to hear, so that you go directly solve the problem. Go directly to the source. Bypass, bypass the people, your direct reports. Bypass, go go as far down the line as you have to. Uh, I get the real answer. And it's, it's not to say, hey, Jesse, what are we, what are we doing wrong? Yeah. It's, it's not to, to interrogate them. Yeah. It's just, if you just have a conversation, I'll guarantee you, within a conversation, within 20, 30 minutes, they're going to say something that is you don't know or you're aware of. Yeah. You have to get in touch with reality, with your customers, with the market. And too many salespeople today, for example, in the sales process, they don't know. They, they, they think the customer wants this because that's what all the customers in that market want, but they don't know why they want that. They don't know why that's important and how it's important. You have to dig into this mm -hmm. stuff. And until you dig into that, you're going to sell your product or service the same to everybody, but not everybody buys it for the same reasons. You have to bypass those opinions, those attitudes. You have to find out why do, why do they want to come to one of your games? Why do they want to hire you? Why do they need this? What's, do we, is there another way for us to do this without doing yeah. that? Is there a better way to but, do this? But you have to get comfortable enough to, with your people to make sure they're comfortable enough to tell you the reality of the situation. Well, I will tell you, in my experience in human relations, people tend to be more com comfortable with people they know are telling the truth than people are lying. Okay. You know, I, 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 you know, you show, I ask my audiences all the time, have you ever lied? And if you say you've never lied, that makes you a liar. 100%, yeah. So the bottom line is, okay, the question is, is that what do you lie about? And why are you lying, yeah. And the bottom line is, if you can answer those questions, so do your customers, do your employees think you lie? Why do they think you lie? Why, you know, do your employees lie to you? Why do they lie? I mean, you know, let's just peel away all this BS, okay, and this need for sweetness and calmness. That is not what has made this country great and is not what will make your company great. It's not what made, you look back over the last hundred years, the biggest companies in the, in the history were not made because everybody was nice to each other and everybody liked what everybody said. They did what was best for the growth of the organization, which ultimately was best for the customers that they were dealing. When they stopped putting the customers first and start putting the company first or the employees first, I will show you companies that have gone out of business. Love it, love it. All right, before we get into our final four and our extra innings here, I believe... I thought we were going all day. <laughs> We've been having fun. Uh, the one question, I mean, I believe everyone needs to find the best version of themselves. So for you, you've given some examples, but what are you doing every day to get better? I mean, you've given so many speeches, written 80 books. How are you getting better every day, even now? I have a routine that I follow every morning, every night, which is a combination of prayer, read scripture, and read a self-help book, which takes me generally, for all those things in the morning, it takes 30 to 40 minutes. And it's the last thing I do at night, prayer, read a self-help book, and, 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 and typically on weekends I throw in a fiction book that I'm reading because I, I like to read fiction, so I'll throw in another 20, 30 minutes of fiction because I don't have to work the next day. Um, if you're not exposing yourself to other people's ideas, experience, and information, you're only relying on your own. Sooner or later you'll screw up. I'm not saying that everything I've read has helped. Um, but I like authors that hit between, uh, one of my favorites is a, books is a book by Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, it's called Ask It. 
every single page in this book hit me between the eyes with a two by four. It kept, kept, I could, and I've got to the point where I couldn't even read it anymore because I was getting so upset with myself. I had to set it down. He got out of your skin. He did. He really got out of my skin a lot. And and he did it in a way. I still have the book. I have finished it. I, but I, and that's, I'll come back to it. I'm thinking, why did I? Why couldn't I handle that? Is it because I don't have the courage? I don't have the ability? I don't have the guts? I don't have the what, what's what? So I, you know, I, and I bought two books at Barnes and Noble last week. I read the first chapter of one of them, put it back on the shelf. I'll never read the rest of it. The other one I'm reading now, and I will finish it. I take notes. Uh, sometimes I get as a result of those articles or those books, I, I come up with an idea. I'm working my 81st book right now. I won't be on the market to probably next spring. But it's called You Only Have One Life to Live, and the subtitle is How You Doing. <laughs> so you can, you can tell by the title, it's, the whole book is about you know, what's, what's working and what's not working. Questioning it. For me, it's about having routine time to learn from others. Outstanding. All right, final four time. And you've already given some great examples here, but maybe you can find one more. What's one thing you've done differently in your life that's made you successful? Oh, one thing that has made me successful... Well, first of all, successful is a relative term, um, and I haven't done it always, so I can't say that it's something that I started when I was ten and I'm still doing. Um, I guess I would, uh, I would, I would go back to one of Frank Sinatra's, one of my favorite songs of his, which is "I Did It My Way." Okay. Uh, I, I did not let spouses, parents, they tried. Um, they tried to mold me into what they thought I should be for their reasons. Uh, from the time I was probably eight or nine years old, I, I fought that. And finally I heard a song and I finally figured it out. And I'm doing it my way. Outstanding. What do you think makes someone stand out in business and in life? Um, sooner or later, integrity. Um, a desire to achieve something of value to society. Not about yourself, but it's about who you serve, why you serve them. You look at the greats of the past, whether it's Mother Teresa, or you look at some of these people, or Billy Graham, you look at some of these people who've done so much for the world, so much for society, I will guarantee you uh, they did not have a selfish bone in their body. They, 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 they were here for others. Love it. Yes, you, you could have prospered in the process, but that wasn't your motive. Outstanding. Best advice you've ever received? Um, when I was in my first sales job, uh, I was selling door to door magazines door to door. Uh, he was my first sales manager, my first hero, and he told me he said um, I, I, people would say they couldn't uh, afford the magazine eight dollars a year subscription, and um, so I would give up and not try to sell to them, um, and then I would go some next person they could afford it. And, and I'll never Eddie Desmond was his name. He said, "Who put you in charge of what they how they should spend their money?" Your job is to sell the product, do the best you can to sell the product. If they decide to spend the $8, that is not your decision, that is their decision, it's their $8. Stop not trying simply because they tell you they can't afford it. I don't care if it's $100,000, if they say they can't afford the $100,000 project, the bottom line is who, who made you God to decide whether they should or should not buy something. Your job is to do the best you can, selling it, and if they don't buy it, that's their decision. If they do buy it, that's their decision. Stop making it your decision. Oh, outstanding. All right. How do you want to be remembered? I'd just like to be remembered. <laughs> well by, said. By my, uh, at least by my daughter, my son, and my granddaughters. That if they, we've researched as the average person is remembered depending on what they did while they were here and their legacy, six, seven years. Most people are not remembered longer than that. But family, I would just like to be remembered as making a positive contribution in some way to the people who do remember me. Great. All right. So quick extra innings, fun questions. You never know what's going to be thrown at you. Now, you, if you could eat at one restaurant the rest of your life, what would it be? Red Lobster. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll keep moving on. The one thing you wish your phone could do? Shut up. <laughs> Perfect. All right. The best TV show ever? I got a lot of those. I guess probably uh, Frasier, Cheers, or MASH. <laughs> oh, great. All right. I know this one's a really tough one for you, but one book that made the big, biggest impact on you? You just mentioned Ask It, but is there one when you first started that made the big, biggest impact on you? Um, there are so many. Uh, I guess probably I would, pro it would probably be better to say my favorite authors. One would be Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The, Four, the Voice of Knowledge and The Four Agreements. Um, another would be Og Mandino in The Greatest Salesman and The Greatest Miracle in the World. 
Um, it, for me, it would be an author and, and, okay. not, and not a book. Because right. you just turned one book into like numerous books. So I yeah, like, I like absolutely. <laughs> be different. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. All right, last question here. What's one moment that you will never forget in your life that stood out for you? When I saw my youngest daughter um, born. Outstanding. She looked Chinese. She had black hair, <laughs> slanted eyes. I'm thinking, is, am I really the father? <laughs> I guess you'll never forget that. You know, to this day, she's uh, you know she's a, she just bought her own uh, Snap Fitness franchise a couple of months ago, and I'm really proud of her. She's done very very well. Awesome, you passed. All the, my kids are making more money than I am, so I did a good job. Yes, and, and you passed the extra innings. Tim, anything else you'd like to share with the audience? Uh, you're not on this journey alone. As long as you think you can do it by yourself, you're making a serious mistake. Uh, whatever your spiritual values are, is, is it uh, when you when you make God your partner, you can do a lot more. Outstanding. Tim, where can people connect with you? Uh, my uh, website is under reconstruction. It's timconnor.com. If they want to email me for anything, if they'd like to get the uh, free reading list or whatever, I don't use any. I don't do anything with people's emails. I have over two hundred fifty thousand people on my uh, email booster uh, mailing list. I send out a weekly article on Mondays and a what I call words of wisdom on Wednesdays. My email address is timspeaksforyou at uh, gmail.com. That's timspeaks the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. Or on my website is timconnor.com. Outstanding. Tim, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jesse. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Find Your Yellow Tux podcast. Big news. Next week, we are dramatically changing the format of the show. Why? Because reinvention is the key when it comes to business. To succeed and stand out, you have to constantly be changing things up. So, we are no longer going to be the Find Your Yellow Tux podcast. We're no longer going to fit into the category of typical business shows with typical interviews asking typical questions. We believe whatever is normal do the exact opposite. So next week begins the Business Done Differently show, where we will learn from people who are standing out in their industry by pushing them to their limits. From segments like Fail and Tell, Love It or Leave It, Tool Time, Stand Out or Bust, Yellow Mellow, Flip the Script, and more, the guests will have to expect the unexpected to make it through. Do the guests have what it takes to stand out on the show? We'll find out next week here on Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. Until then, stop standing still, start standing out.